Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Deer Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Durr. Today, I am joined by Dorge Wong of Fireknock and Dave Murray from Vital Limits. If you've been following along with a lot of the conversations that Dorge, Dave, and I have been having, you know we focus heavily on some arrow content, and today, it's no different. We're talking about uh, some shooter questions that we have received from a couple shooters wondering exactly how titanium is is going to affect your arrow flight specifically how does titanium in your bow increase your point of impact from your arrow it gets a little technical but it is good information and if you are interested in titanium stick around for that but also in this podcast dorge is fresh off of total archery challenge in Tennessee and he has a bone to pick with the 166 arrow so we talk about uh, the shortcomings of 166 where does a 166 come into play and we talk a little bit about the construction of the new Exodus NIS 204 diameter shaft which I am super excited about and as you can hear in this episode George is also really excited about this arrow that arrow shaft will be coming very soon so if you're interested in that shaft and uh, that's what you've been waiting for it's coming soon so listen to the second half of this podcast where we talk about arrow shafts construction and diameter but before we get all into that guys this is the most exciting time of year for me my gears are switching over to deer heavily velvet is starting to grow and the pictures are coming in and i'm getting super excited there's no better time than right now to save on exodus products if you've been eyeing the exodus products for a while now you are in for a treat in celebration of our eighth year in business trailblazing the trail camera marketplace exodus is offering exclusive campaign for you guys until june 12th you can save 25% on the entire Exodus website, but with a deal this great, it's only good for the first 300 renders and 300 rivals. So if you go to use my code DG on an Exodus render or Exodus rival and it doesn't apply the 25% savings, that code is used up. The 300 renders and 300 rivals are gone. The good news though, if you've missed out on the trail camera savings, you can still save 25% on anything else on the website including the exodus mmt arrows until june 12th all you have to do is go to the website and use code dg at checkout to unlock your savings in case you need some more enticement let me tell you about the exodus render and the exodus rival the render is our flagship cell camera powered by verizon 4g lte this camera boasts lightning fast transmission times making it one of the speediest in the industry Plus, it's incredibly user-friendly and dependable. That camera is normally $335 on the website, and with 25% savings, you're getting it for around $250, which is amazing. And new to Exodus this year is the Exodus Rival, the budget-friendly cell camera that does not lack in performance or features. That camera is on the website for $179.99. Use the code DG to grab this camera for under 140 bucks. Backed by a five-year no BS warranty with theft and damage coverage, this new camera is simple, reliable, and dollar for dollar, one of the best cell cameras on the market. And as I said, the Exodus MMT is gonna be discounted 25% until June 12th. So if you need an arrow that is tailor-built to your specs, matched weight, 
arrow to arrow consistency. It just doesn't get any better for 240 bucks, the Exodus MMT, but you can save 70 bucks a dozen off the MMT arrows with the code DG. Guys, over the eight past years, we have continuously proven our commitment to building high quality, reliable products that flat out work when it matters most. Join us, the Exodus family, and experience the difference for yourself. Head to exodusoutdoorgear.com and be sure to take advantage of some of the very best savings of the year by using the code DG at checkout. With that being said, guys, thank you for your support. Over the last eight years, we couldn't be any more grateful. Now let's get into the podcast. All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Deer Gear Podcast. Today, I'm back with Aero experts Dave and George, and uh, to start this off, we have a listener question. Uh, it's on a on a topic that we've covered a few times, but we need some clarity here. So, uh, Dave, you had a question from a customer, or maybe it was on a uh, YouTube video from the podcast with George. So let's let's answer his question for him. Uh, what was his question exactly? Um, he was wanting to know, um, how how installing titanium uh, hardware in a bow um, results in a higher point of impact. And there was another, I guess there was conversation uh, between him and Dorge as far as microflex. Um, so perhaps Dorge can explain some of that as far as what the differences are in steel hardware to the titanium. And then I think it's probably important to note, like, in, in some of these instances, like the, the limb bolts, um, the connections, I think, are, are important in how they work. I, I, yeah, that's actually a, not a simple science. And uh, I think fundamentally, a person needs to understand vibration is not just vibration. There's multiple form of vibration. And I think that's what a lot of people got lost in the benefit of titanium hardware. In some way, I would say, uh, let me do the, the complicated scientific side first. What we are really trying to accomplish with the titanium hardware is actually three steps. The first, you've got a very good weight issue. The entire system is lighter weight. Second, the, you're going to have a corrosion issue because, you know, rust and everything would, would damage the the system quite dramatically. I mean, if you talk to, uh, say, uh, Fukur Artery out of uh, uh, Alaska, they would tell you, if, if you decided to buy a bow from him and go to uh, go to Kodak Island without titanium kit, he may not even sell you a bow. <laughs> That's how serious it is. But the reason behind titanium for me to go forward with that whole project is actually the, the reason for it, for me to step forward is that because titanium price dropped quite a bit. And to the point that it is not even a consideration of not using it because it's that good. Now, what does titanium really do for a bow? In my personal opinion, the most important factor is controlling the resonance. I mean, I, I was very, I, I just found out that a company called, uh, is now reselling the whole titanium hammer again. And even after all this year, you're still looking at $200 for a normal 18 ounce hammer. 
if it is really not that good as everybody who have used it feel, they won't be selling it. So what's the real deal between quote unquote a steel screw and a titanium screw on a limb bolt? I want to focus on the limb bolt right now. What con the, the first one you need to understand what connects the, the riser to the limbs is indeed the limb bolt. So if the if the titanium prevented the resonance. See, remember, I'm not saying vibration. I'm saying the word resonance. It's the fundamental frequency of both material. And because of steel is very good at maintaining that resonance. Another word, think tuning fork, okay? Let me give you the, the, the best way to say it. If you make a tuning fork of titanium and you make a tuning fork of steel, the tuning fork of titanium won't make a single sound. It won't do anything. It's no longer a tuning fork. <laughs> it's no longer a tuning fork. And now imagine if, why does a tuning fork move? Because it got resonance. So now, just think the tuning bolt, because of the way it is and the strength, the strength material and size. That's the reason the limbo is one of the more critical part. Imagine if you're a tuning fork that have no weight, do you think you can make the tuning fork do anything? If it's made of steel, which is also explained why the hollow titanium boat have a much more better performance than the non-hollow. It's not about weight. It's that there's not enough mass. This is where the big deal is. As the resonance cannot be formed, resonance cannot cause the issue to any components. So that's benefit now, now first, we need to think through it. If the tire or a car or anything, if you connect not, cannot make perfect contact as it travels, how could you think you would drive? At the same time, you said if the limbs is not making perfect contact or you have micro uh, resonance, which is a micro form of vibration, how would, would the bow perform? The smoothness is gone. I mean, people say, well, you know, if you've got a bad suspension driving on a rough road, your car is not going to last. That's the end of it. But in the case of a bow, if the resonance is there, the bow will still shoot, but your performance will suffer. People say, oh, I have no suffering the first 30 yards. To be fair with you, in 30 yards, you can do anything. The bow doesn't make a difference. As everything I said, after 30 yards, it's going to see the difference because the initial loss of energy is not the obvious choice, the obvious visible result. Just like because it's not an obvious visible result does not mean it does not exist. Unfortunately, when you do some basic test of seeing the difference between, say, titanium and not titanium, the first 30 yards, my personal opinion, you won't see anything. So if that is your judgment of whether titanium work for you, answer is that it won't. And I think I make it very clear. It is always in the longer range of the arrow because as titanium helped to not consume, remember the word is not consume the energy in the first 20 to 30 yards. The arrow have more energy on the shaft 
as it travels. Because people need to understand at the end of the day, all the energy was is a mechanical energy transfer from the limbs to the arrow. The answer is how well it is transferred. Second, as the arrow flies, how much energy is the arrow consuming as it leaves the bow? While it was leaving the bow and while it was flying, that is multiple form of movement the arrow is doing. The first is the basic parabolic action. Everybody knows it. It's called the artery paradox. Second, we've got the torsion of the shaft. The third, we've got the drag of the vein. But then people also forgot about how, how some arrow was flexing so bad, the drag of the vein become critical. But then there's another thing. It's called resonance. That means now imagine you're drawing a sine wave, which is basically your big S curve, right? Now on the S curve, draw micro, uh, uh, draw teeth on it. That's your resonance. If you look at, uh, if you if anybody had looked at the old old movies about the radars and so on, now imagine you got a really nice curve, and all of a sudden you see some spots and and teeth on the curve. That's your microflex. Now, how does that affect the arrow as it travels? Those actually eat energy the most on the arrow shaft in the initial launch, but it because it was decreasing the the entire energy on the shaft that we was launched. As it flies, the first 20, 30 yards, there's actually no major difference. But as it travels, since it have lost all those energy in the initial microflex phase, the arrow hit lower. That's where the difference is. It's nothing to do with the arrow tuning. It's nothing to do with the, with the bow tuning. It has nothing to do with it. That's where it got complicated. So, on uh, in the first twenty or thirty yards, why doesn't it have mm -hmm. an impact? Is it because the arrow is still recovering? No, because there's enough energy. Okay. The, the the variance is not there. I mean, it's the initial phase. It is still the same. I mean, just like if you do not have a good, just like you you don't have a good vein and you're the good vein, and then you shoot it out with the first 20, 30 yards, it's pretty much the same. But and you, if you got a good vein, as you travel longer, the arrow hit differently. Sure. Yeah. Just like if you don't tune your bow well, we're going to shoot at ten feet. Well, it doesn't matter. You can't see it. <laughs> right. I noticed that with like, the arrow builds that um, when I was testing a, a two point concept system, it being a heavier shaft build, at like twenty or twenty five yards, it hit two inches lower, but at fifty yards it tacked up plus six inches on top of the other arrow, which it made up a total of eight inches. But the difference was so significant between, you know, the starting point of say 20 yards and then the end result of uh, 50 yards, you know, to come up with, you know, equaling, you know, it made up for two inches and then stacked on another six inches is significantly better in arrow flight. And in a heavier arrow, which, you know, at first surface reasoning, you would think that the lighter arrow is going to just, you know, dominate all the way through. And that wasn't the case. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I guess. That, what, was, what was that customer not really or not? I guess he's not a customer. What was he 
trying well, what wasn't he grasping on um the transfer of I don't, I don't think it's not able to grasp. It's the not not the word able and willing are two different things. Because I me and they both face customer who first of all when they call you, they already have an answer and they're calling to argue. That's where I see a lot of problems. When you believe what you believe is only the only belief, there's no amount of reasoning that can be spoken to change that's it. Fair. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Dave, you mentioned something about um, knock tuning in this process. Um, what was the question there? Uh, for the bear shaft tuning, the yeah. um, in there, the the I guess the remark was or the comment was that the um did you bear shaft tune it and test it after that but in order in order to step out of the bear shaft tuning which really doesn't have any relevance to this because i mentioned that you know i can i can use the pap system i can spine locate i can get a consistency of my arrow doing it that way rather than bear shaft tune and switch hardware and see a difference and i think there was just a lack of understanding there that i don't know if the uh shooter commenting understood what i meant by the pap system i sent him a link on the uh i think it was rod white who did the national archery association uh advanced arrow calling which he describes uh georgia's fire knock pap system is what he uses and he also went into detail on there how he filmed that, I think it was over 3,000 frames per second. And when you spine locate that arrow, they would always have the uh, the dynamic bend flexing upward, which, you know, was marked and located. So as far as gain, gaining the arrow consistency and then testing it to titanium, you know whether a shooter wants to do the you know bear shaft tuning or or we do the uh, use the pap system is kind of a moot point as long as you got consistent arrows. Now I understand the point where if you don't have uh, spine located arrows, whether you did it on a pap system or the um, or your bear shaft tune, I mean that could be the issue where you have flingers, but that's not the case. Clearly, I built arrows for several eight years it's already making a, a, a preconceived idea that i'm that i don't know what i'm doing with the arrow therefore i can't test titanium can't properly test titanium and that's not the that you know that's definitely not the case um and i think i think that just a lack of connection or the understanding there with the pap system then there was another question of where you're placing the arrow node and that's just all irrelevant the main point of it is that when you change something on a bow general rule of thumb is you change the tune so when you change hardware that has that offers a different frequency in the bow you're going to ultimately change something the dynamics with the bow so you change its ability to function it's just how significant it is and at what range and we're not saying that titanium is tacking on 200 feet per second to the bow, but we're saying that there's some, it offers some characteristics that are beneficial to the arrow 
damn range. And when we start figuring in not only the titanium, but we figure in the arrow build, nice, you know, offer uh, limb suppression, all these benefits really start to overlap and you see a significant gain in the arrow. And I mean, it could be over, we're talking like 12, 16 inches plus in some cases, you know, within that 50, 60 yard realm. And I, you know, I think it was on one of the podcasts or other podcasts when I first started messing with this stuff and I adapted the whole titanium kit and the arrow, I shot completely over my 3d black bear. Um, by at least six to eight inches over the top, aiming for the, and that's something a pin setup that I had in conventional world of archery before I messed with all this. And you know, that was an expensive shot because I I launched <laughs> a uh, I launched a Black Eagle Challenger with a concept system. The first one I built right into the trees, and I had to find <laughs> it out a second time because I thought I did something wrong. Yeah, but that's the kind of differences that we see when we combined everything. And when you do the titanium swap, just in hardware based off of an arrow build, we're seeing that maybe one, two inch, maybe you might see four inches at, at, at 40. Um, those kind of gains that are, you know, small, maybe you pick up an inch at, at 30. It's not significant. And then I also tell to, tell some of the shooters that, you know, you got to be able to shoot good enough to see these differences. Now, every... Not every, but a lot of the shooters that I've had come into the shop over the last several years will tell me how they can drive tax at 30, 40 yards. They can shoot dimes. And the minute I put up a paper plate at, at 20 yards, we have a hard time containing the group in there. And then I work with the shooter. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll build his arrows. And... Now we're starting to do stuff at like 40 yards where the guy's starting to accumulate like two to four inch groups at 40 to where he couldn't hit paper. You know, he had trouble hitting paper plates at, at 20. If, if you send a shooter like that, a titanium kit, and he doesn't get the arrow build and he can't see that two to four inches of difference just in his normal shot, he's probably not going to like the titanium kit other than you know, it makes his bow a little bit less weight. Yeah. I more think corrosion resistant. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's a really good point that is probably missed sometimes, um, with being good enough to tell that there's a difference because I'm that guy at like 50, 60 yards. I can't, I mean, I'm, I'm not good enough to sh outshoot the, the titanium kit. Like, I don't know. Um, the benefit to me for the titanium kit was a quicker target acquisition because I wasn't able to like, like, I know it's happening, but I'm not good enough to tell I'm pulling shots or I'm hitting here one time and I'm hitting five inches low. And that was just me, you know? So, um, I think that's a good point to make is that it's not going to be that it's not good. It might not be the kit. It might be you. And that's hard to admit sometimes as an archer. Right. Yeah, that's the reason I said to a lot of guys, you know, when you buy a performance part for your car, if your car is not well-tuned and you're not a good driver to start with, and you buy a performance kit inside the car, nobody knows there except you. And if you can't feel the difference, that's not for you. Right. Which is why 
I since day one when for most of my high performance part, I do have the word use the word high performance. I did offer everybody a 30-day unconditional. So you know, some customers, so first of all, I'm not here to argue, nor here, we're here to discuss. At the same time, you know, like everything is not for everyone. Just like I told, like some people say, oh, drinking warm Guinness is the only way. Well, I may not agree with that. But at the same time, That's if disgusting. it's not for you, then you shouldn't have it. Yeah. I'm not you're not gonna right. catch me drinking warm Guinness, I'll tell you that. Right. Well, I mean, being being from a being grown up in Hong Kong and seeing people the traditional way of drinking Guinness, well, that's what I learned to do that. Oh <laughs> uh, well, now just like you know, I, I want to bring back to the next subject we want to talk about. Is that when I I just come back from uh, no, actually not. I come back from Total Archery Challenge in the Tennessee. How do I say it without being offensive? You know how many people are using one six six size arrow in the Total Archery Challenge? Yeah, there's no wind drift, George. <laughs> That's uh. not a good one. Just <laughs> uh, to put it this way. I saw 20 guys sitting on the thing shooting at the bison, which is 105 yards from the uh, from next to the bear, the bear booth, but the, the bear tent. I was staying there a few times because I want to talk to uh, uh, John and Nate. He is now the head honcho in bear. I was looking and say, he's shooting at the, 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 the bison, right? I said, yeah. Then we, have, we both just laughed. About 20 guys shooting at a bison. At the end of the day, there's only two arrows on that round. There was two arrows on the bison. That's mm. 20 guys shooting at it. That's not mm. good odds. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, that two arrows is not one of them is in the kill zone. Yes. The other one is even close. <laughs> I think that bison target is really pretty safe. They won't it, it doesn't do to behave <laughs> like a porcupine at the end of the day. <laughs> and guess what most people shot at that moment. I don't know when I'm going to get this message across, but hey, if that's what people want to do, that's what people will do. And not to mention, this is, which I really like Total Archery Channel because it really tested people. What happened when they really start shooting a long distance? What kind of problem are you facing? Because I don't think a lot of people recognize. Just like the backyard guy, you should Five arrow. Also, oh, look at this arrow catching each other. Maybe the guy already shot 10 shots and that's, <laughs> that's on the target. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that when you are in total archery challenge because everybody is standing in the same spot. And fortunately, unfortunately, I'm there to see it. So why do people really, really, really want to shoot the 166? Well, I kind of, I can't dismiss the cool factor. It really is very cool. I make them. I love them. I mean, you know what? You know what I sell the one six six mostly to the target guys. Really? I yes. Uh, most of them do NFAA, the uh, the, uh, the the national archery, and so on. They indoor? are the biggest customer. Uh, indoor and outdoor both. Hmm. But the the reason for that because the one six six for durability, you it's pretty hard to beat. It's pretty hard because he actually, as a matter of fact, I just did a bill for a lady who shoot the 43 pound with the 24 inch draw. Her arrow was 22 and a half inch. Mm. And original, she was shooting 700 spine. 
I give her 400 with the arrow concept in it. The difference in weight is about 75 grains. But she, at a long range, we're talking long range, that's about 70 meters and out, or even 100 meter. She's getting better results. That means she's on target and getting points. Sure. In most cases, people they never believe it. But think about it. If people are that handicapped with the 26-inch draw weight, draw length with the barely 40, 43-pound draw, draw weight and 26-inch draw length on a 24-inch arrow. Oh, no, sorry. She's going to have 24-inch draw because the arrow was 22 and a half inch. <laughs> People say the arrow will not fly. Well, I hate to differ because she's getting scores. And by the way, she is ranked number 10 in the nation. So it is a, a 15-year-old lady. So I like to work with people who are in that process because they don't have that preconceived notion. Mm -hmm. But then why do I pick 166 over 204 over 300? Because they are shooting a target that stack a whole bunch of arrows. Would I, would I prefer to, uh, 2364 over the 166 for performance? Absolutely. Because you'll get better, if the both arrow are 100% identical weight, I will guarantee you the 2364 will penetrate deeper than the 166 at 70 yards. It's not a if. And you're cutting lines in the target world. <clears throat> Correct. But now, the, 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 I mean, I, I learned from one of the old shooters, one of the Japanese shooters who have did a fantastic video. It doesn't matter how big the target is at the end of the day. The center is the center is the center. If you have to rely on the arrow to cut the lines and not be at the center, I think you're practicing the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the idea is that there is that the 166 shaft itself is just able to take a beating if another shaft hits it it's more durable than a 300 because of the wall thickness correct it's the ratio of wall thickness and i mean just like if anybody so remember a few podcasts ago we talked about the uh the shaft consist the shaft responsiveness based on thickness if two identical fishing rod or two identical arrow in this case is the same weight one is a larger diameter than the arrow, than the other. The thinner wall will always suffer from breakage, but you can't deny the, 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 the responsiveness, the forgiveness, and also the accuracy of performance of the thinner wall. Is mm -hmm. it true in every single statement, except durability? Yeah, that, I mean, that's just look at the shaft, take the knockout, look at the shaft and see how much surface area you have there, um, how much we'll just, material. Well, just remember, the thinner the shaft, the, the smaller the diameter, the more material you have to use. On the inside. To get the same, for the same mm -hmm. spine. Yep. So technically, on a, say a 204 and a 166, identical in spine, that is more material has to be used on a 166 compared to 204. Right. Because a thin, a thinner, thicker wall shaft will not have the same ability to resist bend as a as a larger shaft. So now go to the next step. So wouldn't we use the always the biggest shaft to to for hunting? Answer is that we should, but we wouldn't. 
And in most cases, for people that are price conscious, they shouldn't. I mean, because they are just not that durable. I mean, for the super lightweight 246, like the, I would say, I remember that, that, that the carbon exhaust, Blue Twix Elect, or the uh, high country, super thin, ultra high modular carbon arrows. They are fantastic in performance. But then, if you touch anything, they are gone. Yeah, hit a rock or hit the target the wrong way, or or simply the arrow slap on each other. They are they are mm-hmm. goner. Yeah. So so why do people? But then uh, what is the balance? I mean, you know, when two forty six comes out way back in nineteen eighties, I believe uh, two forty six was first introduced through Gotip. Why did he choose that size? I think that is the that's a very good question, and I asked Marvin on that once. He said that based on thickness of wall, the material at that moment, and ease of build, the two forty six is indeed one of the very best for manufacturing efficiency, for responsiveness, and also give people a better feel. Because you remember, the carbon arrow are actually thinner before the two the gold tip hunter comes out. The beamers are actually thinner. Then for actual hunter today, what arrow shaft do you choose? We at Finox truly believe with the two with the with the highlight of compound bow today, you should be shooting in three hundred. But everybody just don't like the shape of it because it looks like you're shooting back the twenty two nineteen. The aesthetic of it, right? But the question is that what's wrong with the twenty two nineteen? You know, a lot more deer have been killed since from back then to now on the 2019. So the size is really not a major issue. It's aesthetic, as you said. So if, if the, I mean, you know, we, we want to make stuff that people want to shoot. The more you like it, the more you have confidence in it, the better you are a shooter. That's a fact. So when Eastern come with the 204, which is when the access first comes out, does it merit? It took me a long time to think about that. I would say from the marketing point of view, from what Eastern manufacture the access arrow, answer is yes, it do have merit. The 204, I think, is a good balance between the, the 246 and over 166. Can the 166 one day be better than a 204 because of material change? Yes, it can be done, but you're going to pay a lot more. A lot, a lot more. We at Fina currently make the two, two, uh, 1662. I would say that even that is not, even with that, pushing everything together, compared to a 204 build, the 166 still is a little bit lack. And it's a very expensive build. So unless you are a target archer who have a special requirement, I would never touch the 166 for everything because the I at one point, because everybody's saying how good it is, I have a full dozen of X Impact 166300. <laughs> no, the performance is nowhere close to my, uh, my, my, actually my carbon tech, uh, Rhino. Really. So in order to make every customer happy, I did make do the 204, and I also built a 166. As a matter of fact, 
with Exodus, I actually went through another round of 204. So right now, technically, from my factory, there's three different 204 coming. The first 204 is our traditional 4, 4K, 4K weave. Unfortunately, the arrow is about 4, 390 on a 300 grain. That's a fantastic, uh, what you call it, uh, Africa big game your Texas pick forever, you know. Then I got the one one and a half K, 4K. That's a lightweight build. That have all the patent ability of the of the, uh, uh, of the final arrow weave and still a reasonable lightweight. Is it as lightweight as an Eastern Access? Uh, no, but you got these characteristics. That's, For, the arrow, I mean, that, that's the arrow that I hunted with all last year. Yes, that's the one you, you I, I built for you. But then, of course, uh, that arrow is reasonably expensive. Actually, it's yeah. the one of what's the most expensive arrow we have. The arrow is about $220 <laughs> a dozen. To be fair with you, if I do not use my model, I mean, if I use a traditional model of retail, the arrow should be $440 a dozen. Woo. No, I'm not joking. Because you can imagine, I mean, if your retailer won that 30, 40 points, your wholesaler won that 30 points, your your manufacturer advertising won 20 points, how much extent the arrow need to be? And yeah. I don't have any of those. Yeah, that's a... It's a great arrow, but there's not many people out there that want to pay that much. You know, some people have all the money they need on other things. I mean, right. people would talk about they would spend $3,000 on a quote-unquote a, a tree-stamp block they can sit in, and they complain about, let's say, a $350 arrow build. Well, that, we all have different opinion and different value of pieces. Now, on the 204, which I'm very excited. You should be seeing that very soon. I'm excited. Yep. I'm excited. What is different about the construction on that arrow? Well, that 204 is, first of all, is based on our sport weave design, but it doesn't use the weave. But we are able to use a much higher linear modulation carbon. So in other words, it, it's sort of like what GoTip did on the kinetics, but improved. Because what I do is that the, the left and right and outer is diff, is uh, is laid differently. I mean, I'm very confident the new design, would it be the air weave? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I was tuning for performance and weight. And being a 204, you can afford to do that kind of deal. You know why? Because 204 have, is a reasonable thick wall yep. compared to a 246. So that's where you can play. Mm -hmm. and, and a lot of people do not understand when you roll a multi-layer arrow, what you need to do is that imagine you lay all the carbon fibers on the table and you need to roll each one. You pre-cut it and you find a way to tape them together. And then you roll the whole thing in one press. It is not an easy process, especially when all the... See, in the case of the new 204, because since it's not a weave fabric, you'll see a better in strictness, which again, I can't change what people believe. Everybody believes a stricter arrow is a better arrow. Yep. That statement is not totally wrong. But if you just care for strictness and not spine it, strictness is not the number one factor. I think... That's what needs to be said again. Strictness of an arrow is not the most important factor. The spine consistency and the finished arrow build spine directional consistency is the key. Because so many customers are using the 246, but 204, because they have such issue with 166. 
at least from my sales point of view. And a lot of my customers are saying, Dodge, can you help us? Because you make your 204 component to fit from 201 all the way to 207. That's the 6,000s. A lot of customers who try their hands even on our arrow insert A, which is without the tubing. Now imagine you put an insert into, a, say, a 201 insert into a 204. You've got that 3,000 slot. If you're not good at doing the gluing job, you will find, and then like one of my dealers who have glued every single arrow and leave everything on the table, fitting on the table, not a single arrow with the insert is straight. You need to hydro flow your insert and stand the arrow straight up after you spin check it. If you don't, it will guarantee every insert will wobble and not be accurate. Yep. So how do I help them? So as of uh, one month ago, I decided to make a whole new set of 204, H and A. So the O2, so 204 size, the, the, I, the OD of the insert is 201,000 to 202,000 because I want to be able to fit every arrow, arrow, every single arrow. But if your arrow is 204,000, you're going to have at least two to 3,000 slob in it, right? Yep. I think that 7,000 is too wide a gap. Mm-hmm. I decided to cut that in half. So I'm going to make another whole set of insert called a 204 whatever with the word 4 on the very back. So I'm going to cut the insert into two groups. Anything without the word 4 is it is for to fit 201 all the way to 204. The word that 204 is anything in 204 and up. Well, what does that mean? That means that if you get my arrows, which is 204 ID, and you get the new 204 insert, there's no play in it. It's money. Yeah. I, I, so we have some, we got the components and I was messing with that. And I didn't know that you made it a new size. And I went over to Chad and I was like, Chad, look at how well these fit in here. Like, it's like, it is a glove. There's no play. <laughs> you understand because see, that is the reason I, uh, and, and when you guys first talked to me about the 204, I say, no, you guys going to be suffering because you don't have the aero build ability to deal with that two and a half, three thousand slot. We don't need you to now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but you remember, Finite is a component company. We cannot go away from our roots. When we make components, we need to fit everybody. Right. Yeah, that's, but a, then, cha- that's a big challenge. Right. Because people just don't understand. The Carbon Express ones, the Carbon Express so-called 204, are 202. The Carbon, uh, uh, the carbon Impact Fresh Shaft are 201. The Black Eagle are 2045. <laughs> And then the, the elements are 207. And gold tip is a 204. So when, when you put the 20, uh, 201 to 215 into any of those, there's slob in it. Yeah. Especially if you put an element. Gosh, there's five and a half thousand slob in it. That's but then a, you know there's that's a trick to it. If you do build an element, the moment you feel one side is bigger, turn to the other side, they're smaller. Because of the way the um mandrel's pulled. Correct. So in most cases, but then if you leave the 207 side to the knack, the knack will fall out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you need to sort of remember those. I mean, hopefully the elements are better now, but since uh, I remember Jeremy Whitehall is the guy I used to know with the, with the element arrows. Uh, he's no longer with the company now. So I don't know how good is the new stuff today. But the last batch he gave me, that's what I found out. So yes, in today's hunting, if you want the aesthetic, 
you want the durability. And if you don't know, really know how to build, I would say a factory 204 without a solid insert is the right way to go. What do you mean a solid because insert? The insert that's not hollow. Because if you look at ATA standard, it's stated all insert through the aero shaft besides the fuel point and nut should allow air to pass through. You know how many people do not follow that rule? Everybody. Is that because of durability? They try to make it stiffer. They try to make the no. Uh, it's a, it, it, in some way, it's that it's a save money because you've done the drill. Mm. There's no work there. Sure. And a lot of companies are actually just literally leave the insert solid. Well, you said a bad thing. If you use epoxy only, it's not that bad. But you pretty much guaranteed have a hard time installing fire nut. That makes sense. The reason I say that because you need to put glue an O-ring and push it into the shaft. If there's no air on the other side, you technically cannot use CA glue. You have to use epoxy. And you need to make sure the insert is got air coming out of the middle. Then you need to clean the wall because the back pressure when they push the glue from around the O-ring, which is all bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just like another customer called me yesterday. Actually, no, emailed me yesterday. Want to install Fire on his new 160, uh, 1.6.0, 4 millimeter. I straight out asked him, have you built your arrow yet? And if you did, what component do you use? He said he was just testing. And I told him, if you do that, put the final in first before you build the rest. You'll be a very happy person or else you're going to suffer. I literally turned down business because customer told them they have the arrow built. They shoot it for six months. They're ready to add light and I said, well, you did the whole thing backwards. You need to put the light down in first unless you're willing to accept failure. That's, that's something I probably would have never thought of myself. Unless yep. you use the, uh, an insert with a hole in it. But even with sending in the hole, the failure rate is still it's still there. That's the reason so many guys which first tried the fire knot on the eastern injection arrows and so on, they all suffered. They say the fire knot didn't work for it worked for once and it stopped. And sometimes they say they put the fire knot system into the arrow shop and instantly got stuck. Think about it. You've got an arrow front that's, that's solid. You put super glue inside the shaft at the back. Then you put the put the plug with the O-ring and push it down. The air is going to push the glue around the O-ring. And when you push all the way down, how much glue is still in front of the O-ring? And then all the glue is on the shaft, isn't it? So now the shaft diameter changed, becomes smaller. What happened when you drop the battery in it? It got stuck. <laughs> how do I overcome all this? Oh gosh, I put a hole in the tool, the two millimeter, two millimeter front screwing tool, they got a slot on it. I also sell the number 19 drill bit, which is 166. So just in case people reach that point, I'm able to sell them a drill bit to drill the excess glue. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Dave, let me ask you this here. Um, on the topic of 204 and 246, how many of your customers that you're building arrows for vertical bow guys, um, what's the ratio of two, 204 shooters and 246 shooters? 99% is going to be 246. And is that based on your, your recommendation or what they are coming to you wanting? Um, normally when they come to me wanting an arrow build, they see my arrows and they kind of just don't, I don't want to say they don't have the idea of what they're getting into, but they, they want my, they want my recommendation. Sure. So, you know, I, I typically steer them towards the 246 or, or mostly even the, th the 300. Um, when I talk to them about, you know, because so, some of the people, they want the heavier weight build and you can really build 
a heavyweight 246, but it starts getting expensive. Sure. Um, so usually when I talk to them about a 246 or a, um, a 204, it's, it, um, once I start getting around at a price that kind of just goes, goes away because when you start adding in stainless on the uh, half outs, you're already at like 40 bucks. There's two different size tubes. You can go to the heavyweight, which I think are like, what are they? 80 bucks, George? For the, the heavyweight, yeah. The, the, yeah, I mean, the heavyweight really... tube, the, uh, forty dollars a set. Because to be fair with you, the forty dollars is actually charged very cheap. Because the one six six heavyweight inner tube is technically the one uh, is based on the one twenty five Olympic target arrows and cut Easy. them down to six inch. <laughs> so I mean, it's. When you start talking over three hundred dollars a dozen in arrows, you start losing people, and um, you know that's where, like in a three hundred shaft, like in the sport weave, I can build if they want a heavy arrow and they want to get over that psychological factor of the fatter arrow syndrome. <laughs> I can build them, you know, something with a hundred grain insert in the front with the concept tube. And still maintain that right around that 220 a dozen area and give them a heck of a stout arrow. Or if they want to narrow it down to the 246, you know, I can I can build them, you know, just an overall nice hunting arrow um that'll be good for anything. So I'll, you know, some of it weighs into they they want a better performing arrow. But they want an arrow that is not going to break the wallet too sure. bad. <clears throat> sure. And that's where I think the 246 comes in favorable, you know, sticking that $200 range with the, you know, with the arrow. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I think, um, and I think a lot of the shortcomings to a smaller diameter shaft is the components themselves, um, especially on the 166. Like, my first thought, George, when you were talking about that um, archer shooting a 166 because it was more durable, my head instantly was like, to me, that doesn't make sense. But I'm thinking of it from a hunting perspective and your component options for a 166, like with the um, outsert, the collar system, those are the first things to break because the shaft itself isn't, maybe it's not less durable, but the components themselves are the shortcoming. Well, well, actually, we that's the, mm -hmm. the concept system for the one six six. Yeah, that changes. So it's not an it's it's not an outsert like it was before. It's a basically a a a, a male ended insert kind of deal, and we got the reverse happening with the points are thrown in. So it's a very unique system. Yeah, that's well, that, that's a big benefit. That's a big difference yeah. than like compared to just a standard one six six shaft. Take the that's yeah full out. It's yeah. not a full. It's a full. It's a full out. It's not an outsert. It's a full half out. Because if you look at the traditional one six six, besides the the final arrow outsert and a, or a true outsert, the entire fuel point is in front of the shaft. Yeah. Then technically, at that moment, you would just increase the total length of your entire fuel point plus insert. Mm -hmm. That's never good. No, nope. you want that to be always to be the shortest. But then, 
if you look at it, just like I remember vividly, one one gentleman out of California telling me that he solved hundred percent of every problem one six six. He make it in titanium. As a matter of GL five titanium, I told him it won't work. It'll bend. It'll break. He said, "You don't understand titanium." I said, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> um, yeah. "Do you know I'm, I'm one of the biggest supplier of the titanium in archery and other other things?" Mm-hmm. Or just so you know, like my cheap check Grand Cherokee, all the luck mess on it, titanium. <laughs> <laughs> His office oh. chair is titanium. <laughs> my office chair is titanium in it <laughs> because I get sick of those side the two side bolt rusting. I know sometimes people say I overdo it. So I think I know titanium well. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> and then, yes, 166, take a closer look at that. It's like, it's a matter of leverage. Mm-hmm. I don't care how hard the material is. I mean, just like the strongest material of, this plant, of, of tensile string in material is spider wire. We know that. But when you are so small, that's not enough strength. Oh, no, no, spider is strong. No. Put your hand out and grab a spider web and see how fast you can break it down. The thing is that there's not enough structure there. Right. Yes, you put a dead spider wire and you spun it into, say, 0.23 millimeters. It will cut your fingers in a heartbeat. But the difference between the spider wire on the spider web and the spider wire on your fishing reel is size. Same thing again, when you deal with a 166 with titanium, the only diameter you're looking at is the 166. Mm-hmm. And then when you look at the outside diameter of your fuel point, it's eight millimeter. Now you look at that, the entire fuel point, whatever sticks out in front, plus the bottom of it, there's another 15 millimeter, plus the ending. So it's about 18 millimeters, plus whatever forward, that whole thing is putting a leverage on the 166 edge. Mm-hmm. I don't care how strong it is. It's going to break. Which, which, not, no, no. No, no, the word break. It's going to bend. Bend, yeah. Which they all did. They, every one of them bend. So how do you overcome it? Very simple. Since you are dealing with that specific size, what you need to do is use the outsert. Now, what is the, what's the great thing about OSERT is that the OSERT that we design is based on, uh, uh, is based on uh, 34 millimeters, 17 millimeters in the front and 70 millimeters on the back. Those are very critical numbers because if you look at the ASA standard of a fuel point size and also on how the neck it is, at the end of the day, the weakest point of an arrow is the strongest point when you use an OSERT based on a 166. So you need you do not use a simple design and try to put in every single size because every single size have difference in it. Because if you do not do all the pieces, you're gonna end up with failure. Failure as in bending. So that how does the 204 getting better? The 204, as I say, as you increase the size, other design come into play. Well, what, what's wrong with putting a collar on the 166? Well, the problem is that you increase dramatic on the weight. But then people say, that's what you want. You want heavy FOC, right? If you want to shoot 25 yard and only 25 yard, yes, go for it. I cannot think of a better approach. 
As a matter of fact, like that out of uh, uh, Southern Illinois, she is shooting close to uh, 20 to 23% FOC. She don't need a vein, but just for aesthetics, she put some uh, Blazer X2s on it. Well, it looks cool. <laughs> but when you're only shooting under 20 yards, that's not important. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Dave, do you have any uh, concluding remarks here today on this Thursday morning? I would say regarding the titanium, if you're curious about it, buy it, try it out. I know Firenock has a heck of a deal with, you know, their the the parts end of it to where it's a 30-day trial period. If it doesn't work out for you, you can send it back. I do a lot of uh, crossbow uh, builds and vertical bow builds uh, using titanium, and I can say that I have happy customers um, once it's done. So explore it. Yeah, can't go wrong with a 30-day unconditional. I mean, what do you have to lose? Go ahead. Yeah, I would say that uh, for titanium, exactly. At the end of the day, it is you that can make the decision. If it doesn't work for you, I don't want your money, send it back. But at the same time, if it works for you, then you know what you're, you may, you know what you're missing or not missing. So there's no harm done. I mean, that's the reason I did that in 2006 when I started the company. I say, what condition do I want to have? I want to play with it. If it's not good, I will send back. Because you back when I started archery, I put all kind of stuff. <laughs> and I end up with all kind of junk, <laughs> which do not work. <laughs> so I think that's a good one. And yes, I'm very excited for your new 204. I think the the customer is going to be really excited about it. It's going to be it's going to be a great option for a lot of people. I'm excited for it. Um, I was just out back uh, yesterday shooting the samples that we got in Harrisburg, and I was shooting the 350 spine which is 8.7 grains per inch, so pretty light arrow. And I was shooting it through um, some pallets. And I was shooting it through the, uh, just to see the durability of it because it doesn't have the weave, right? So I wanted to see yes. how much less durable it was. And it was going through pallets and in, into the tree in the back of it. And I could pull the arrow out and shoot it again. Not recommended, but it could happen. Yeah, but you guys want to test it. Although I told you that approach and design is... Uh... I really think another one want to, want to comment on before the day ends. At the end of the day, all technologies are technically useless if it is not optimized. That means if your bow is not well-tuned, your arrow is not well-tuned, and you put anything on it, it's not going to make it better. After you make everything the best it can be, then you're going to find the my stuff is going to make it better. But if you haven't reached that point yet, it's a long journey, and it's a fun journey. Nobody say you have to be the best but you should drive to be the best. I think I'll just end it today on that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Thank you guys for your time this morning and we'll talk to you next time. I'll see you.